This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast. It's the weekend outing with me, Emma Goswell. Welcome to Virgin Radio Pride. Apologies if I sound slightly hoarse. Um, I have actually been to my first party in about 100 years and done the first bit of shouting I've done in a very long time. And I'm still not recovered. Um, Anyway, that is not a reason to tune off because it is going to be another quality outing. This week, we'll be finding out all about Families Together London. They're a group that help parents struggling to come to terms with their child coming out as LGBT+. Hour off to the cinema to find out all about the Iris Film Festival, which features the world's biggest LGBT film prize. First up this hour, though, we are heading back to school. Yeah, don't be scared. We're going to meet a woman who gave up her job teaching music at a school in London to focus on making all schools across the country more LGBT-friendly. The bundle of energy that is Ellie Barnes joins me next to talk about her organisation Educate and Celebrate and to talk about how the next step is to take the message worldwide. Good afternoon, Ellie. How's it going? Fantastic. Lovely to be here. Always a pleasure to talk to you. God bless you. So we're going to find out a bit more about Educate and Celebrate and all the work that you do. But first of all, let's go right, let's wind the clock right back um, to when you were at school. Don't look that terrified. Was it awful? Was it awful? Was it was it a really unfriendly place to be a young queer person? There was no mention of being queer whatsoever. I don't remember the words lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, or anything to do with sexual orientation or gender identity. It was never mentioned at any point. I mean, I was doing my A-levels, interestingly enough, when section 28 came out. So I just remember there being lots of hatred, unfortunately, towards LGBT plus people. And of course, it was the time of the um, the AIDS crisis as well. Mm. So in the time in the other pandemic before this <sighs> one, yeah. And uh, I remember that if we ever touched another human being, we were told we were going to die, basically. There was pictures of gravestones on the TV. So it's quite a terrifying time. Actually. Well, it was worse than that, actually. I remember somebody telling me and believing that you could catch AIDS from a toilet seat. So you could go to a public loo and catch AIDS. I mean, that is how uneducated we were in the 80s, isn't it? Absolutely. There was there was nothing around at that point, which is quite amazing that during that time and that crisis, that the law was made um, mm. that stopped teachers talking about lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans people within schools. It was absolutely outrageous, which I guess in lots of ways, if you look at your political history, is not so dissimilar. Now we're in another pandemic and the Tories are rolling back on rights for trans people with the Gender Recognition Act. Mm. So it's probably not too different from what we saw then when we were kids. Terrifying, isn't it? Well, me and you are pretty much exactly the same age as we discovered a few years ago, didn't we? And you're right, you know, it affected really people that were slightly younger than us didn't it clause 28 but we were just from a time where it wasn't discussed anyway so it was almost like what are you banning no one's even mentioned homosexual acts or being gay or how to have a healthy gay relationship at school no no I felt like I was the only lesbian at my school obviously thanks to Facebook I now know that's not true but (laughs) (laughs) no it is true there was a complete silence you're absolutely right it was only when I went to uni um, for the first time someone said oh you're one of those you're I was like what what is that I mean I hadn't even heard the words but I just assumed in my naivety at this point because Emma there was no 
education around it at all. I thought everybody had relationships with all people of all genders. I just thought that's something that everybody did. So it was quite a shock to me when I got to you to find out, oh, okay, so we're meant to be heterosexual, are we? Because that's not the way that my life had been up to that point. But maybe it's because, I don't know, I was from a very sheltered background in the countryside, I think. Yeah, you were living an idyllic life then, weren't you, in your brain? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It it wasn't mentioned. So that was a real shock that suddenly I was labelled and I'd always felt quite free. And I guess in lots of respects, I was one of the lucky ones, really. Yeah. And then, of course, after university, you eventually became a music teacher. That was that was the career you landed on. And what, what was what was that like? Oh, I absolutely loved it because I played lots of instruments. I did my degree in opera, but I also played um, guitar. I've been learning guitar from a really young age and piano and cello. Um, and I loved it. So I'd always been a musician and I'd done drama as well. Did like productions. It went to the Edinburgh Festival um, and just was really, really involved in the arts in a big way. So it was kind of a real natural progression really to finally go um, to music college. And so working with young people in the classroom was a real treat. I absolutely loved it. So I worked with 11 to 18 year olds. Um, So I got to perform a lot as well at school because we were in bands as well. The teachers, we perform, the kids would perform. So it really was a lot of time putting on shows and who doesn't love putting on a show? It was great. Sounds more fabulous than my school was, but anyway. Um, And then did you make a conscious decision to come out at school, to be an out teacher? Yeah, I mean, I find that really interesting because I was never in. (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay, yeah. I think it was really very obvious from the get-go when uh, people first met me. It's not something that I've ever kept in or lied about. I've always felt that it was really, really important to be myself, you know, particularly when you're working with young people and families and teachers. I really think we have to be extremely transparent about who we are. And I think um, it really does you a lot of favours because teaching is that sort of profession, unfortunately. You know, it was quite interesting in my first job. I was told not to come out and like, well, why? I'm the same person just because you're putting me in front of lots of children um, to work with them (laughs) I'm not going to be any different and I'm certainly not going to pretend that I am someone else I'm always going to be myself so you went against um, your management then absolutely and I think I've continued to do that ever since because Mm. you know if we want to get to a place where we're building that future of inclusion, then we've got to ruffle some feathers along the way. And and I think that's the right thing to do because we need to push people outside of their comfort zone to get to where we want to be. But the manager that told you that, that wasn't within the law, was it? They couldn't have said, oh, you're fired then because you've come out at school or was it still within clause 28? And you could have been. Still within section 28 Ah. at that point, yeah. So you could have been fired. Yeah, I mean, quite easily. I mean, I didn't last long there, let's be honest, but. (laughs) that's not fair because you clearly are a brilliant musician and a brilliant teacher so you were being you would have not lasted because of other reasons then yeah but I was quite happy to leave I was quite happy to move on I think that's what we all do you have to find your spiritual home in a way I guess Mm. and then you finally land on the school or the environment that is right for you and I think that's what a lot of us do don't we keep on moving to find yeah well you do yeah keep on moving countries yeah why not (laughs) (laughs) so what sort of reaction did you get from the kids then when you finally were sort of coming out would they ask you would there be like very open conversations in, in the classroom 
Yeah, absolutely. And I loved it um, because it's just about creating that forum, isn't it? For young people and teachers and parents, of course, mm -hmm. to have conversations because there's still a lot of fear ar around this, you know, um, particularly about safe spaces for young people, you know, and what I did is I had my choir at school and I think inadvertently the choir became a kind of a pride group. <laughs> <laughs> it's the LGBT group. Oh no, sorry, it's the choir. <laughs> yeah, because it just became the safe space for the young people to come to. Mm. And I learned a lot from that, um, that there probably wasn't that many open conversations going on around the rest of the school and the rest of school life. And, you know, that was my reasons for beginning the work at my school, because lots of kids wanted to come out. But even at their young age, you know, if it's legal, it's in the law, it's absolutely fine. But the young people were still very fearful of doing that. You know, the fear of bullying from other young people, the fear of parents, the fear of just, you know, um, what people will think of them within the school environment. And that's oh, just that, this is really not fair because I'm an out teacher and I need to be having these conversations. So mm. creating that space and that forum and that open environment is absolutely key. And I'd recommend that to any teachers out there listening today to create that space. Well, I just can't imagine what a difference it would have made to me to have a teacher that was openly gay. It would have been incredible because I literally thought there were no other gay people in the world. So the fact that you did that must have given real hope and inspiration to a lot of the young people. They must have come out to you, I guess. Oh, yeah, lots. Oh, yes. They all come down for conversations, of course, because they want to know more. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great because it's quite a large percentage of young people. I mean, there's been surveys recently, it's almost half the population. I think it was under 26 that were surveyed and almost half of them said they didn't identify as heterosexual. So we have to remember this is something that young people, of course, they're gonna be questioning their sexual orientation. Mm. Of course, they're questioning their gender identity. I still am at my age, you know, <laughs> and I think it's something that's going to continue and it's continued to change throughout my life because for me it's quite fluid and I think for a lot of other people it is too. Yeah and were you supported by the other teachers and the head or, or was there a few sort of rumbles of dissent people going oh she shouldn't be running this LGBT club and what's going on? <laughs> yeah there's always that in the background of course there is um, but my thoughts around it are always to show good practice so what are the benefits that come from this and then move forward you know produce the evidence to say look this is what this child has now achieved because you've got to think it's about their achievement within school you know mm -hmm. and our kids are not going to achieve unless they have the confidence to be themselves and they feel comfortable it's just really as simple as that isn't it for me it was about creating the environment for everyone to excel um, at what they're best at really and that was that was part of it so once management saw that and there was nothing awful that was happening and no we weren't talking about sex you see that's the conversations that are happening now that I'm mm. still having that attraction comes in so many different ways doesn't it it's not always sexual attraction you know mm. it can be platonic it can be romantic emotional or aesthetic you know it's attractions very different for different people so it's not always about the sexual side and I think when we can move away from that we'll be in a much better place well it's always the homophobes that seem to focus on the sex it's all the sex bit isn't it you know we always talk about love but all the homophobes are always obsessed with the fact that we have dare to have sex you know I don't know why that is they're the perverts 
Well, the, the, it's, it's through the language as well. So we can say the word heterosexual, but mm. like homosexual, pansexual, you know, all of the, you know, it's like, well, but they're all about sex, but so is the word <laughs> heterosexual. <laughs> Good point, Ali Barnes. And then at what point did the, uh, the idea sort of grow in your brain and you thought, Do you know what, I'm going to have to hang up my um, tambourine as a music teacher, as it was, and actually focus on LGBT issues instead in schools and, and set up this organisation? No, it all happened so incredibly naturally. So I was um, head of year within the school, so I had autonomy over the assemblies. So you can talk for 20 uh-huh. minutes, of course. So most of my assemblies, I would say, were about diversity and inclusion in some way or another, about how we could make sure everyone in our school community was represented, because I had 240 kids that I took through from year seven, you see, through secondary, and I wanted the best for all of them, regardless of their background. So it was a totally intersectional approach right from the beginning, because we had kids, I taught in Hackney for a really long time, so we've got a whole eclectic mix of kids from all different sorts of backgrounds and I didn't want any one of them to be failing because of who they were so it was part of a much bigger and broader project of inclusion but then focused specifically on gender identity and sexual orientation and because we did that the kids were much more well-rounded and focused then we started doing it with year eight and then year seven eight and nine so the whole of key stage three and then we just worked it into the school every year by doing lessons within the curriculum. So just, you know, I started talking about queer musicians, the fact the set works for music, for instance, 90% of them as music teachers out there will know are male composers and they're white male composers. And it's really auditing the whole of the curriculum to make sure we're not falling into that trap. And we are showing a representation of lots of different types of people. So an intersectional approach to the curriculum is what we advocated for right from the get-go within my year team. And that spread. Thank God. I would have loved to go to your music lessons. I remember just learning about Edward Elgar. I mean, boring. <laughs> I'm sure he isn't boring, but yeah. Um, so then at what stage did it spread to other schools then? Did you think, well, this is good, but I, I, I need to change the world, not just this school? <laughs> you know, what? other schools started to um, realise the work that we were doing because we were doing each year um, a showcase because I was so used, I guess, to doing shows through music. It mm. seemed a really natural step to start doing an LGBT plus showcase in February for LGBT History Month. And that attracted um, the attention in the borough. So we had, because all the parents would come along and all other teachers from the borough, and then it was Hackney Borough that said, well, can you come and do some work for us? Can you do some training and work in other schools? And then from the Hackney Borough, it just spread to other boroughs. It seemed like a very natural step. And then um, I got the first major contract in Birmingham and then another one in Durham. So it was just really then about just cutting down my teaching hours and moving over and setting up Educate and Celebrate as a registered charity, which is what we did. Fantastic. So for people that may have just tuned in uh, or may not know much about your organisation, just give us a little snapshot of what Educate and Celebrate is and what what you do. Yeah, well, I guess what we do, um, well, our strap line on the website, um, educateandcelebrate.org, is we support you to embed gender, gender identity and sexual orientation into the fabric of your school or organisation. So most thing we want to do is empower you to make those differences so we want to give you the tools 
and the confidence and the support to go on that journey yourself. And we hold your hand through that, through our Pride and Inclusion Award. So when you say you, you mean other teachers, you mean parents? Yeah, all sorts of organisations. So we are contacted by parents and teachers or pupils. <laughs> right, like working. get in my school and tell my teachers how to teach properly, please. Yeah, I yeah, can imagine get, that. Yeah. yeah, we do get some of that, particularly, yes, inboxed in our, um, on our um, social media. Yeah. So we do get a lot of that from the young people telling us about what's happening and what could be better in their schools. Um, I guess we're mostly approached by teachers who want to make a difference um, within their school and how they go about doing that and can we support them through the process. And what are some of the main um, problems, do you think? What are some of the main things that teachers and pupils complain about when it comes to, you know, people having their gender identity and their sexuality respected at school? Yeah, that's really interesting. So now in 2021, it's mostly about gender identity and it's about the language mm. that we're using, particularly um, in the young people um, around pronouns. Now, this is beginning to change, but we get lots of emails from young people about how they're just not represented or recognised within their schools. You know, teachers not calling them by their, um, their name or their pronoun. And that's really sad. And it's exactly the same for teachers as well. I mean, there just isn't the options around language. So we do do a lot of auditing of language and um, particularly around what's interesting at the moment is the, is like the salutations, Ms, Mooks, Mrs. Mm. Mr. Because why do we have these? You know, I mean, 20 years time, I just think they'll all go because why do we have them? Why are we gendering anybody anyway? Do we need to? Why are they even there? You know, we're working with a school at the moment in Southeast Asia and they are they're just called teacher. So I'd be teacher Barnes. And I really like that because yeah. it's gender neutral language. But why do we need? You're absolutely right. I'm just doing a load of forms for the European Social Fund and they have to put the person's gender on it. That's like... Why do they need to know? What, what, what relevance is it to them? Absolutely. There is no relevance to it at all. It's just tradition and it's what we're used to doing. So mm. therefore, we're continuing to do it. Like the way we address each other, like even on the tube, we go to the theatre, it's hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Like, no, it's <laughs> hello, everyone. Hello, year 10. So we talk a lot about that as well. And then we work when we're working with businesses and organisations as well. It's like, how do you greet your customers? You know, we don't want to be saying, madam. So we don't know what anyone's gender is until they tell us. Well, no, know. exactly. And the other thing is, of course, people's genders, as we know, change and they're not. Yeah. It's a fluid thing. So my girlfriend's teacher, one thing that they're doing at their school is they're starting to make sure they write all reports with gender neutral language. Because, you know, if a trans person years later wants to look back at their old school reports, they don't want to be misgendered or dead named. So it's, it's nice just for them to be gender neutral. So is that sort of thing happening in a lot of schools? Yes. So every school that we are working with, and that's what we promote as well and totally advocate for. So you can see um, we've got some lovely videos, actually, at the moment. We had our conference a couple of weeks ago, um, just at the end of Pride Month. And we had several schools come on to talk about best practice. So we have at least seven schools talking about the best practice award that they've just won and what they did and how they achieved it and how mm. they've made the place much more inclusive. And we also moved forward into, because we are really obsessed by sport, educate and celebrate. I mean, I love it, about okay. the inclusion of trans and intersex athletes into sport. So we had a panel of sports professionals and athletes come on and talk about the ways forward um, on how we can all start accessing that. And that starts at school. So 
we are advocating for mixed sports right from the get-go. In primaries, that generally happens anyway, because there's no difference in the growth development during primary, but in secondary, oh. we tend to segregate. So, but why are we doing that? I mean, the FA have even ruled that we play mixed football now, up to the age of 16, maybe 18. Great. Um, so that's there for us to use. So why are we not doing that within our schools? But again, we have sports on the outside that we don't have autonomy over, but we do have autonomy about what happens in school. So we can roll out. And um, um, what about school uniforms? You get a lot of people complaining about that because that was my big bugbear at school. Absolutely <laughs> couldn't stand it. Yeah, forced to wear a skirt. Yeah, there's absolutely no need for that. We just need a policy that says in our school, pupils can wear and then you list all the different clothes that they can wear. And that's it. And then there's no troubleshooting for any student that doesn't want to wear a prescribed uniform. It's just so simple to do that. So, yes, that's one of the first things that we do. So we'll go through every single policy, <laughs> uniform being the first, take out all the gendered language from your website and on every bit of paperwork that you do. Um, so like his or her needs, no, their needs or pupils' yep. needs. Yep. You know, this language is, is everywhere. I mean, we're looking at your equal ops policy make sure that's got the equality act on but you might want to have other protected characteristics in there you know like mental health needs um, your political affiliations or more it's just about welcoming everybody and setting that ethos anti-bullying of course you know homophobic biphobic transphobic bullying how are you monitoring that what are you doing about it is that on the same level as racist and sexist incidents you know nine times out of ten it's not unfortunately do you think um, that it's still as bad as it ever was in schools homophobic and transphobic bullying it's really interesting because when I first started yes it was rife it was yeah it was very scary very frightening time language was mm. awful so what's improved is language and inclusion as a whole. I mean, our young people are much more exposed now to LGBT plus people. It's on the TV. Yep. <laughs> you know, and it, everywhere. Yeah. You know, shows like yours, you know, we are so much more represented and the young people are so much more down with it. But some pockets of the UK and of course now we're working all over the world, you know, we're working in very, very, very different circumstances with very different um, values. And we are, it's like starting all over again. So yes, it is still there. I would never say that that bullying has gone because it hasn't, you know, and until we've reached that land of social justice and <laughs> we, we're, we're not there. So I'm going to no. still keep on going for how much longer? Uh, well, you, you might have another 50 years in you, Ella. We don't know, do we? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you mentioned that you know that it's rife in this country, but that doesn't that's not where it ends for you, is it? I mean, you you have got ambitions to go and take this project worldwide, haven't you? Because you started in one school in Hackney, then you've got all across the UK. And where are you going next? Over the years, I've done little pockets of work. So in Catalonia, did a project there, and in Germany, um, and we had some teachers come over from India when I was teaching. And I also went to Istanbul and did some work with the university over there. Um, so it's always been there in the background. Um, but just before lockdown, I had the fantastic opportunity to go and work with some schools in Thailand. Wow. And it was amazing. <laughs> the work that was um, starting to happen and the conversations that we were having, because obviously gender identity is looked at quite differently. It um, is, isn't it, in Thailand? Yeah. Yeah and also around sexual orientation. So we had some great conversations. I learned a lot. So 
We have continued to work in that area. So we've had schools in Cambodia and we're now expanding to Singapore and into the Philippines. And we are just trying to extend as much as we can around that sort of Southeast Asia region. And I'm really enjoying it for me personally, because it's a whole new experience and a whole new learning curve, because I like to keep ahead with my own learning as well. Yeah. Um, and keep my brain. <laughs> this, this is incredible. Well, if you need to, um, to post me and my girlfriend to the Philippines, I won't. Um, I won't complain. <laughs> Absolutely. I tell you, you can. Yes, you can work with the young people. You'd be perfect. You'd be perfect for that. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the experience. So taking over the world generally, one step at a time. Yes. Now, if, if anyone's listening and they're still at school and they're thinking, God, my teachers could do some sort of training or programme or, or I'd love my lessons to be a lot more inclusive and uh, I'd like my pronouns to be respected more at my school. You know, what should they do? Where, where's first portal call? Uh, get yourselves onto our website, which is educateandcelebrate.org. And we've got loads of resources. There are some for free for you under the services tab. If you scroll down, there's um, posters, there's some policy guidance, and there's a book list as well. Um, but it's quite cheap to join us as a member. And then you get access to a huge amount of resources and lesson plans at every key stage and in every subject area. Um, and that will support you through. Um, and then book yourself a webinar with us. I mean, really, yeah. just have those conversations with us. Because part of that, we will look at all your policies and we will look through your website to make sure you're on the right track. So we have lots of services available for you. Yeah, I mean, it's bad timing that all the teachers have literally just started summer holidays, haven't they? But, you know, don't leave it till like six weeks time and go, oh, crap, I've not done any um, lesson plans for all my students. Get on and get some free LGBT ones. That's what I say. Too right. Come and get the free stuff. It's there. And if you want support, there's loads of videos. Go to our latest news and you will see lots of videos from our participating schools that will show you best practice. A lot of them are their Pride Youth Network. So it's the young people themselves yeah. saying what they have done and how they've made positive change. God, I cannot believe that schools have got their own LGBT groups now. It's just blooming brilliant, isn't it? I just think it's fantastic. I mean, there's over, we've got over a hundred in the UK and then we've got quite a few more globally now that yeah. are joining our network. And you can follow them actually, because we're on Instagram, pride underscore youth underscore network. And you can just keep following us because every day there'll be a post with some advice and guidance for you. So we're trying yeah. to put as much information out there for you as possible for you to start your own journeys. Fantastic. And just quickly before you go, I know you want to mention you've got a book out as well about how to make schools more LGBT inclusive, haven't you? That's pretty much the title. Well done. <laughs> no, I think it's actually, I've written it down, how to transform your school into an LGBT friendly place. Perfect. It is. It's a real <laughs> practical guide for nursery, primary and secondary teachers. So it does what it says on the tin. Or you can just get in touch with us directly at inquiries at educateandcelebrate.org. Well, thank you so much for this uh, educational interview and um, may you carry on changing the world for the next 50 years, Ellie Barnes. <laughs> Let's hope so. And we're passing the baton yeah. to our young people um, to carry on um, with this. So good luck to all of them. Yeah, lots of love from Educate and Celebrate and good luck to everyone. Mwah. You ready? The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell. Virgin Radio Pride. A big thank you to my first guest on the show, 
Ellie Barnes, or Dr. Ellie Barnes, I'm sure she doesn't mind which either, to be honest. You can find more information about her brilliant organisation and get your hands on some of those resources. If you happen to have kids or you happen to be a teacher, just go to educateandcelebrate.org. Now, I remember yonks ago, a friend of mine I was working with came back and went, oh my God, I was on Canal Street last night and I met this woman. You'll have to meet her, Emma. She's amazing. She's so passionate about schools and about teaching and just about making the world a better place. You've got to meet her. So I'm glad I have finally got to meet Dr Ellie Barnes. What a woman. Oh, and by the way, Ellie, if you are listening, I'm still interested in that Thailand posting. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but I do a podcast as well as this called Coming Out Stories. And I've been lucky enough to interview, blimey, almost approaching hundreds of uh, LGBT people. And they talk about their coming out experience, obviously. It does what it says on the tin. But they also talk about how their parents reacted. You know, sometimes they're quite harsh about how their parents reacted and didn't really understand what they were going through. But you know what? I've never spoken to a parent to find out what it's like on the other end of the conversation. So I thought it was about time I did. That all changes now because coming up, I'm going to be chatting to Mary from Families Together London and she joined the group looking for some support when her daughter came out as a lesbian. Hi Mary, how's it going? Hello, fine, thank you. So for people who haven't heard of Families Together London, what do you do? Why why was the group set up? Um, It was set up because basically there were no... There was no support for parents at all. And it was just set up by a handful of parents before my time, I should say. And in fact, the lady that set it up sadly died fairly recently. And we were all a bit gutted because she was the heart and soul of Mm. of the unit. But um, yeah, I mean, we're just um, a group of parents and we support other parents. We're not professionals in any way. We just give our life experiences and just support each other in that way. So it's not just um, parents, but it's families and friends are more than welcome. So what led you to to go and um, approach the group? What, what was your story? What was your journey? My story was that I found out my daughter was gay. I was absolutely horrified. I thought my world had come to an end. Friend suggested uh, the London switchboard. Mm. So I called the London switchboard and they said, oh, I think there's a parents group. And that was, gosh, 15 years ago. It offered me so much support. And then I was so grateful. And I felt that all the experiences that I'd been through with my daughter was actually enough to help other people, which we do on a regular basis, I'm pleased to say. I bet you can't believe now, because you've obviously been on a bit of a journey, that you you thought that your life was over and her life was over because she came out as gay to you. Is it weird hearing yourself say that now? She, she hadn't come out as gay, but yes, when I look back, I'm I'm actually more horrified at my thoughts then because my life has changed for the better. I've met some amazing people and I would never have done that if my daughter was straight. Um, it's just opened my world. And my daughter-in-law, um, she met at San Francisco Pride. Wow. And, you know, I'm really ecstatic about that. It's, um, yeah, it's it's all good. So you've got an American in the family now? Yes. Yeah, so why do you think you felt that back in the day? Because you just didn't know any other LGBT people, I guess? Oh, I think there's a lot of reasons, actually. Um, I think one was a faith reason, because I am a Christian, and 
I didn't actually, well, I didn't really think about it that much. Um, also, I often say to people that I was ignorant and bigoted. Mm. Now I'm educated and I love more and I judge less. Well, I'm not a fundamental Christian. I'm just an ordinary run-of-the-mill Christian, but I just couldn't get my head around it. Um, and now, actually, I focus on a lot of the faith issues because what I have learned is that when people talk about, you know, well, oh, it's it's against my religion, in actual fact, most of the mainstream religions are, are not anti-LGBT. Um, what the problem is, is cultural indoctrination. And I think a lot of people get confused with the cultural indoctrination and faith and they are two completely different things and it and really it, it really does affect people's lives doesn't it you know i've spoken to a lot of yeah. people who've had muslim or jewish or or christian yeah. parents or baptist and, and you know it's been tough for them to be honest and really i think all religions are based around love and i think that's really important to emphasize uh, you know i just think that people get a bit hung up on the faith aspect when really they shouldn't. They, the, as I say, the majority of faiths are based on love, love for your neighbor, respect for one another. And I think that's just far more important. Uh, and I suppose you're having these sort of conversation with parents um, who have just found out that their child is LGBT plus and part of the community. So are you sort of saying all this to, to, new, to new parents, are you, that you speak to? Yes, um, I mean, a lot of them are in the BME community, um, in you know some of the um, the Pentecostal churches, for instance, and also um, the Muslims, a lot of them find it quite difficult to get their head around. And that's obviously still going on today. So yeah. what do you say when a parent, because you do you man phone lines to people ring you up and say, I don't know how to cope, my child is gay or my child is trans? Well, we just listen to them, listen to their concerns reassure them that this isn't necessarily how life pans out as I can provide a good example mm. I, I think it's more a question of reassurance um, and I think when you first find out and you're in a little world of your own and you think that nobody else is in this position and everybody is going to point a finger at you and this is I mean I do say to people and this is how parents feel. Imagine what our children feel if mm. this is how we feel. And I always stress that if you're feeling like this, just imagine what your child is going through or has been through. Yeah, absolutely. And when they look at it from the child's point of view, then a lot of them kind of refocus their minds. And I always say that the reason people come to us even if they're in tears the reason they're in our group is because they love their child mm. it's not because they hate them it's because they love them and they want to support them exactly and I guess you've had some real success stories haven't you I mean I've read some on your website there's you know the people have been on real journeys of uh, of understanding to to accept their LGBT children yes yes they have yeah can you think of any that particularly stand out for you well, I remember one that um, cried and cried and cried. And then came one meeting and said, I told my brother. And it was just such a lovely moment that they were so overjoyed that they could tell another member of the family. Yeah. Um, and in fact, um, their child was married and they brought in pictures of the wedding and you know people really celebrate people kind of arrive in a terrible state but 
after a couple of months, we we do manage to turn them around. Um, and then, of course, they're really proud when they when their child gets married. So that's um, something for real celebration. And in fact, some of them are so proud they march in um, London Pride marches, don't they? Yes, yes, we have a large group at London Pride. I don't yeah. go myself for the different reasons, but um, yeah, no, we do have a really large and I think fairly rowdy, happy group. Um, yeah, at Pride, look out for us, everyone. Well, I always do, actually, because I think it's always, I mean, the word novelty is probably the wrong word, but it's it's so exciting to see because usually Pride is about LGBT people expressing themselves and celebrating their lives. So to actually see the parents marching, you know, the first time I saw it, it really made my heart sing. So I was like, this is fantastic. These parents are marching because they're proud yeah, of their children. I, it makes a real impact, I think. Yeah. I think a lot of people ignore the fact that people have parents. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people don't want to come out to their parents because they don't know what the reaction might be. And that's another reason why we like to be seen at places like Pride to show that parental support is there. It is important, you know, and, and we will talk to anyone. We, we, we don't just stick in our in our little tiny confine. Um, we will support anyone out there that that we feel we can offer support to. God, I mean, it's so important, isn't it? I mean, I've been lucky enough to interview hundreds of people from the LGBT community and so many sadly are. They've gone on to lead good lives, but they've been damaged by the, the hurt that their parents have done to them. Some of them yeah. have literally been thrown out on the street. Some of them have been made homeless. You know, some of them will probably never get over that. So, you know, I think what you're doing is so, so important. Do you get that sense that you are really saving lives? I like to think that we broaden people's minds mm. and we show them a, not, not a better way, but um, a, a kinder way of supporting their child and the wider community because I think the more people like me that are happy to talk about it the easier it becomes for other people yeah absolutely so there might be people yeah. listening to this thinking gosh I could really do with your the support of your organization what's the best way to get in contact um, the best way is um, go onto the website which is um, familiestogetherlondon.com and you'll find the contacts on on there we don't like calls in the middle of the night, but if you're that desperate, we will take a call in the middle of the night. Yeah. And you have um, actual meetup groups, and I don't think you've had them during COVID, obviously, but you do have like physical no, meetup groups. Actually, COVID has been good in many respects because we've brought people in from a much wider geographical area. Right. We've actually had quite a lot of new members this, you know, over the last 16 months. So, yes, our meetings were, our physical meetings were on a, a Saturday um, in Battersea and then a King's Cross meeting. And now we actually have three three meetings, all on Zoom, but we're hoping to resume the Batters Battersea meeting in September. Um, but we also have a, a little offshoot, which is the uh, parents of trans children. Oh, fabulous, yeah. Because they'll have um, particular issues or, or situations that they'll be dealing with that they'll really need support from other parents, won't they? Absolutely. Um, and that has, I think, quite a few members now. And do you yeah. go out and do events? I mean, is it is a bit about socialising with all the parents sort of getting together rather than just talking about the heavy, serious stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, Battersea, we have a lunch and we all, you know, it's very much a social occasion. Um, we do have speakers from a few a year, um, very interesting 
speakers, <laughs> wide range of subjects. In fact, it was interesting when the same-sex marriage bill was going through Parliament because we had uh, Mike Freer, who, who was very much engaged with that, um, and talked us through all that. And that was actually a really interesting time. Mm. Um, so, yes, um, we have lots of very interesting talks. Oh, fantastic. And um, what would you say, to, say there was somebody listening to this who, who had just discovered that their child was gay or maybe trans and they were where you were 15 years ago, i.e. they thought this is terrible information, my life could be over. What would be your advice to them? Stay calm. Mm -hmm. This is not the end of the world. Um, we always say that this is a journey and life will always get better. It's always better. I mean, I can remember thinking this is this will never improve. And I remember saying, actually, I feel ashamed of it. I remember saying I will never say that I'm proud of my daughter because that was proud and pride. And now, honestly, I couldn't be more proud of her. She has achieved so much. And um, like I say, I wouldn't be here today if she wasn't gay. Yeah. And so, she probably wouldn't have gone on to achieve so much if she didn't have a, a parent who was loving and proud of her as well. Yeah, you know, it works both ways, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Can you tell her that? <laughs> <laughs> you ready? The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell. Virgin Radio Pride. Big thank you to Mary. If you missed it, where were you? <laughs> yeah, she was great telling me all about Families Together London. You can get more information about the organisation. Maybe you want to take part. Maybe you want to volunteer and help other people accept their LGBT children. All the info and contacts at familiestogetherlondon.com. Oh, and you could tell she was at home during that interview, couldn't you? Did you hear the dog barking in the middle at one point? Love it. Um, and I cut this bit off the end, but I did actually get to meet her daughter, Lucy, as well, who was uh, listening with her while her mum was chatting to me. And yeah, what a wonderful story. What a wonderful pair. Really, really glad that we could get them on. And it's good just to have it reiterated how it is a journey, you know, just because your parent might react badly on day one. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, 15 years down the line, they could be flying your flag for you at a Pride March and talking about LGBT equality on a gay radio station. So there you go. Mary giving everybody and all families hope there. Now, if I'm honest, I think we've all fantasised a little bit about directing a film, haven't we? Or maybe just us megalomaniacs. Listen, if you've done more than just Daydream and you want to put LGBT plus stories on the big screen, then you need to know all about the Iris Prize Film Festival. The £30,000 prize is the biggest of its kind in the world and the festival surrounding it attracts filmmakers and fans from across the globe to Cardiff. Yes, really. And I caught up with the wonderful Welsh man behind the festival, Berwyn Rowlands. Evening, Berwyn. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for, for letting me um, talk to you. As in, uh, as, you, as, as you might remember, I, I am a bit of a talker. <laughs> I do remember that, actually, yeah. So, first of all, congratulations, because you've just been nominated for a big prize with the National Lottery, haven't you? Yes, um, I do have an ego. I think most people have an ego. and. Um, <laughs> It was unexpected. It wasn't one of these you had to fill in or you need to buy a table of 10 to attend a function. Well, I believe I was nominated by the British Film Institute uh, as well as a few individuals as well. That does feel good. It kind of, it, it gives you that nice warm feeling that somebody's recognised what you're doing. Um, but at the same time, it does allow the doors to open and support what we're doing. 
so you know yeah well i'll tell you what then so for people who don't know what you're doing what exactly is the irish prize um film festival for people that are unaware what do you do the festival was created originally and i don't think anything's changed to basically celebrate excellence in storytelling and i think what made iris what makes iris different is iris is is a film festival and a media event first and we've decided to focus on lgbt plus stories yeah you know what, what that means is i'm not dissing in any way lgbt organizations it's just that we come from a very well i come from a very specific background which is a love of film you know i i used to screen Jaws on a Super 8 projector in my mother's front room and scare the living the daylight out of my friends. I love um, it. So the whole film thing and, and the film journey for me has evolved from realising that I couldn't see myself as a gay man, as a young gay boy on an Ismon, on Anglesey. I just was almost invisible. What I did see, I didn't quite relate to. You know, loved Laddie Grayson. Absolutely thrilled to bits with Larry Grayson, but that wasn't me. And then gradually, you know, just being very, very grateful. I, I went to see My Beautiful Laundrette recently, and um, oh. I remember seeing it when it came out. I think it was about 85 or something like that. And it was the first mainstream gay film that I'd seen. And I was so insecure in my sexuality. I remember getting the tickets in the Plaza Cinema in Bangor and I was reviewing for hospital radio, and I made a point of telling the person selling me the ticket, by the way, I'm coming to see this because I have to, because I'm reviewing it for radio. The idea that I'd want to see it, and the fact that I had a scrapbook full of pictures <gasps> of Daniel Day-Lewis was a big secret. So, yeah, so this was, as you said, 20 years ago, and things you don't think things have progressed very much at all, really, in terms of LGBT representation in, in film. No, I think in film, film film is very different to television. Yeah. So if you look at today, it's it's really difficult not to recognise that things have got better. You can't help but tripping over homosexuals on Coronation Street, can you? No, exactly. You know, it used to be the pub. <laughs> it used to be some focal point where everybody could meet. Well, now it's gays everywhere: lesbians, gays, trans, <laughs> bi. Where you know, we're, we're 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 all there. But obviously, these are characters in soap operas and. They're exaggerated. So their lives, again, um, and this isn't a complaint, it's an observation that everybody who lives in a soap opera gives birth to their mother, marries the mother, and then kills her. You know, the, the most bizarre things happen. In real life, of course, things are very, very different. And film, to some extent, uh, is lagging behind. And one of the things that I felt quite strongly about, and this, this kind of, there's a, there's a relationship here with being a Welsh speaker as well, we were given a fourth channel and suddenly we went from having absolutely no Welsh language representation. From 1982, we were everywhere. And so as a Welsh speaker, my confidence in who I was and what I am became calculated. You could see it. And that, and you've now got generations and generations of people in Wales who exist through the medium of Welsh in drama. And I couldn't quite understand why we weren't afforded that same situation for LGBT people. So what I found was we, you were going to film festivals, and yeah, there were lots of short films and features and stuff, but 
they were just lacking in storytelling skills. So the acting might be not quite up to speed, the editing, the sound. It was basically lack of funding primarily yeah. that was driving. But we were so grateful. You know, you'd be, you were, we were so grateful. If you, if, you, if, if you saw something for the first time or if you had a sniff of representation that was there, you were grateful. And I just thought, no, we've had enough of being grateful. What we need is better films. It was really, really simple. Well, it just better. means so much to people, though, doesn't it, Berwyn? Like you said, you know, when you went as a young guy to go and watch My Beautiful Laundrette, when people see themselves re- represented on the screen, and especially the big screen, it makes you feel valid, doesn't it? You know, it's not just going out and having a nice time at the movies, is it? It really, really makes you feel valued and makes you feel important and, you know, exist as an LGBT person, right? Look, yeah, and, you know, and part of the problem, as I alluded to there, was funding. So what you did have was people scraping together bits of money in, and, and, and in good faith doing the best that they could. So one of the things we did, and, and this is how I this came about, we, we wanted to do two things. We wanted to do what every other festival does, which is representation, sharing stories on the big screen. And we do that, and we're part of a global family, um, which does it really, really well. The second thing we did, which is probably the most important thing, in that we invested in new content. So that's why the prize existed. So at the moment, somebody gets £30,000 cash to make another short film in the UK. It's worth more than that because we co-produce and there's all, there's extra bits and bobs. Oh, and they get, so, to, they get to screen it at Pinewood Studios as well, don't they? Yeah, so the nice British perks. winners... There's lots, you know, and we've, um, we're in pre-production on production number 12, I think, at the moment. You know, but basically, we've made 11 films with winners from Australia, Israel, the US, quite a lot of Europeans. And that's the big thing. That's the thing that makes Iris different, is that we share, like everybody else, there's a festival, parties, people meeting, people talking about making films and watching films. But we also invest in new content, so that's the probably the biggest difference. And that's why filmmakers like us, because <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, they want money to make films. And what is the wealth of talent out there like in terms of LGBT plus filmmakers? It's, it's like all the other sectors, really. There's an awful lot of talent at the beginning of the process. So we do lots of outreach work. We go into schools, we go into clubs and stuff. And, and you ask, who wants to be a filmmaker? And hands go up. So who wants to be a director, hands go up. Who wants to be an actor, fewer hands go up. Who wants to be a producer? And you realise there's nobody there almost, because it's really, really difficult. So within the sector, our sector, the LGBT sector, is very similar. But those who do well do exceptionally well. For Iris, our story of excellence and celebration is probably quite magical in that our very first winner was Dee Reese, um, black, lesbian, America. Well, she almost destroyed the competition because it was so obvious of all the films in competition, her film Pariah was the obvious film. And mm. we had a jury and they were all pontificating and what they thought. Of it. But the public who came to the festival knew it's that one. You know. Um, right. Anyway, she won. And then we had a fantastic relationship with her. You know, we, we met up at... I say Sundance, it doesn't happen very often. I've only been once. Um, but we met up. She then came back 
to the UK to be on the jury the following year at IUS. Fell in love with Cardiff, got a bit of an idea, and she returned again to make a film called Colonial Gods. It's actually available on YouTube, on the Iris channel oh, as fantastic. we speak. It's there for free. But the cool thing about Dee Reese was 10 years later, she was nominated for an Oscar for her feature film, Mudbound. Wow. Um, it's, a, it's, it's also a very important film for women in that um, it's the first DOP director of photography who identifies as a woman to be nominated for an Oscar. It only took them over 100 years, I think, or whatever, to, to reach that point. Yeah, I've um, seen it, actually. Yeah, it is a great film. Fantastic. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard going, as in it's not, it's not a film to watch with popcorn. It's, it's a film to watch when you want to experience something and remember something. But, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's a tough that's, one. Oh, good God, yeah. But for us, massive... Um, it's a huge. It had a huge impact. Um, we had a we have a, a sponsored reception in LA at, at Outfest. I'll be honest with you. In the early years, it was difficult getting people to turn up because there's so much going on. And here we are. Hello, come come see Iris. And um, yeah, we you know we'd, we'd get forty odd people. Um, the year that you know the months following the Oscars um, and Dieries. It was the most chaotic reception we've ever had. We ran out of booze. We ran out of food. Oh, the venue on. was too small. It was hilarious. And since then, um, we've seen a huge spike, which has continued in submissions. So, you know, it's... Um, well, I'm not surprised. I mean, that's that's it. A direct link. You have helped somebody get an Oscar, you know, and, and you know. make cinematic history, basically. So, you know, all from um, spending time in Cardiff and uh, being encouraged by you in your film prize. Um, Berwin, and there was a reason that we played a bit Heather Small there for you, wasn't it? You requested that. Well, yeah. Well, she's one of my friends now. As in, I, you know, I, I remember looking at the Peugeot 406 adverts and with the music that accompanied it. And I love meeting famous people. It's, I always get a buzz, whether it's actors or singers, you know, anybody who's talented. Heather came to the festival to perform at the award ceremony. And it was, it was obvious it was, she was also interested in the films. And she said, well, you know, if, if ever you wanted somebody to be on the jury, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, you're having a laugh. This is one of those conversations you have which doesn't really go anywhere. And um, I was very, very corrected. And there she was on the jury the following year. And um, beginning of this year, it was confirmed that she's our, one of our new patrons and um, unbelievably hardworking. There's a couple of things happening um, later in the year which she has opened doors and facilitated. So she's uh, very hands-on. And it's really interesting seeing, you know, a powerful black woman do her stuff and you know how sometimes the relationship between being lgbt and black and being not perceived to be on the other side by some people so i've learned an awful lot uh, from my relationship with her it's interesting isn't it because i know she she rocks up to a lot of prides you know when they happen uh, to sing proud especially of course but it's good to know that she really does support the lgbt community in in other ways as well so that, that is nice to hear um so you said you like hanging out with famous people i mean who wouldn't unless i mean some of them are awful i'm sure um but being welsh and being into film i'm guessing have you met russell, russell t davies yeah russell's a big fan of iris he was able to rock up to the second festival so he he, he came when we were an idea and not as big as we are now. So that's always, always nice. And he's been coming back. Yeah, he's, he's been back a couple of times. Yeah, it was interesting that you know, some of the foreign guests 
appear to be slightly more excited about meeting Russell than being on the shortlist for Iris, but we can live with that. We can live with that. Torchwood, obviously, massively still resonating with filmmakers, LGBT filmmakers, and, and, and obviously being able to visit all the landmarks in Cardiff, um, which feature in, in, in that series. So, no, a big asset and, and yeah, somebody we're very proud of. And you said before we had this conversation, actually, you said actually watching um, It's a Sin, which uh, we all love, of course, really reminded you of, of where your sort of activism and your work with the LGBT community started. It was quite a shock. I hadn't realised how old I was. It was almost as if I blinked and I, I, I still thought I was in my mid-20s. And then I blinked that, and realised... Yeah, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> and well, yeah, nobody mentioned this to me. You know, I, I, I hadn't realised that gravity has an impact on gay people. I thought, you know, I'd have a twenty-eight inch waist forever. But, uh, but no, I blinked, and suddenly I was fifty-four. And then just realising, you know, all the stuff we went through in the eighties, and not putting rose-tinted glasses on them, but there was a lot of stuff. And I, and I think in a strange way, because we were so young, and the situation was so awful. We didn't really know what was happening. You, anyway, I, I just found the series opened doors to memories and experiences that we'd forgotten. And also in Wales, there, there is this fixation, I think, that everything happens in London. And obviously, you know, I know Manchester uh, and Liverpool, etc. Um, and Wales, similarly, you know, there was a lot happening here, which some people had forgotten. So it was a fantastic period, not only to be entertained, um, and to see the AIDS story from a specific point of view. It was, it was just a fantastic way to remember our history and a lot of organisations, including Stonewall in Wales um, and the National Museum and the Nationalised Stedvod, they've all been doing things. So um, luckily, some of our history has been recorded. And there was something amazing about a 19-year-old turning up and saying, I just didn't know. I had absolutely no idea. You yeah. know, I was involved. I was involved with the first Welsh language society um, for LGBT um, people um, at the time. Um, LGBT now. Yeah, we had our first stand at the National Stadium for people outside Wales. It's a big deal. It's one of Europe. It is Europe's largest cultural event. And you know, somebody shat on our stall. They left a bag of poo. Um, on the desk, and we just took that what? in our stride. Yeah, we just took that in our stride, and it was just kind of, this is what happens to us, you know? And I remember going on radio programmes, and there were people I was sharing the stage with who absolutely hated me and everything that I represented. Because it was now, the 1980s, and uh, yeah, everyone was blaming and gay people for AIDS. Yeah. Oh, that and the fact that the fact that you were what you said you were, and well, what's interesting is we did have a sense of humour, and I'm hoping I haven't lost my sense of humour. That's not to say that I was happy to be spat on or that I was happy to be shouted at, but we won the battle in the end by basically mm -hmm. allowing them to undermine themselves. So obviously mm -hmm. what I'm talking about here is um, you know, the whole idea of not engaging with people is something my experience suggests that we should have conversations with people um, because by the end of the day, people will look at them and just say, you are nasty, you're horrible. It's hard work, don't get me wrong. And I can see why a lot of young people today campaigning do feel strongly 
I'm not going to share a platform with that monster. Yeah. My experience in the 80s was sharing the stage with monsters can pay um, dividends because people, the big, you know, the bigger audience, the majority of people look at them and think, you are vile and disgusting. So you started as a campaigner and really your, your work with the um, Film Prize and the Film Festival is campaigning as well because we talked about how important LGBT representation in film is. Um, but I guess before you go, we should talk a bit about, you know, how people can get involved and how, you know, how people can watch the films because they're all available, aren't they, to, to watch some of the some of the past winners? Yeah. Well, one, one of the issues we always had was if people couldn't turn up to the festival, they'd be, where do I see the films? And there, yeah. there was, it was always difficult answering the question. We've taken a massive step forward. We've got um, a sponsorship deal with Channel 4 Film for all four. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, all of the British films competing for the Best British Award, all 15 of them are on all four. And the new batch from this year's October Festival, we open on the 5th to the 10th of October. They will be on all four. The School of 2021 will replace the School of 2020. Fantastic. And it's, been, and it's the gift that keeps giving. The amount of people who've been able just to tune into all four and watch them. And definitely in the pandemic period where people were meeting on Zoom and Teams and all of that, you know, we've lost count um, of the number of groups who've been watching the programme. There's a lovely programme still up there called Joy, which is full of joyous short films, which we still need, I think, at the moment. Don't we just, yeah. So would you just go on to all four and just type in Iris and, and some of the past winners will come up? Was that the best way to find them? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's, it's a reasonably easy um, platform to, to, to use. And um, they're there. They, you can either watch them as three programmes, as they were shown at the festival, but if you know which film you want to see, you can also see them as individual films as well. Yeah. So you can just pick your favourite. And just remind people of your website so people can find all, all the links there as well. Yeah, if you go to, um, it's irisprize.org. So that's I-R-I-S-P-R-I-Z-E, irisprize.org. And you mentioned Joy there. Is there any other like real favourites of yours that people should really look out for and watch? I think what's interesting about the trans stories um, on all four, on our collection there, is that they, what I would call authentic. So it's not somebody wanting to know the tropes of, you know, or have you done this, have you done that? The stories come from very personal, different, unexpected. So I think that, for me, is the joy of all the films, is the fact that they represent our lives in ways which are unbelievably normal on one level, but exceptional in another level. And finally, any advice for LGBT wannabe filmmakers or, or producers? Because there's obviously a bigger need for them by the sounds of it. I'm asked this question a lot. And yeah. the answer I always give is, what do you want to say? Mm. So if you've got nothing to say, I would say don't bother because A, it's hard work. Mm. B, why would anybody want to watch anything if you're not quite sure what you've got to say? So it does, it does stem from that, really. What's your story? Is, and and, and it, it could be an old story. You know, coming out stories, fascinating because coming out in the West is getting easier for some people. It's still, it's still a massive step to make, but they're all different. You know, so my, my coming out story um, from Anglesey back in the 80s would, would, I guess, be very different to my coming out story in 2021 coming Absolutely. from Anglesey. 
I'll have to but get you on my, you po- on my podcast um, coming out stories. I'll have to get you on that as well, Byron. Coming so. out stories. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I, I did come out. I'm trying to remember when, I, when it happened. So it did happen, obviously. It's that long ago. And, of course, your final advice would be to actually enter the Irish Prize once you've made your masterpiece, I guess, really. Yeah, and there are, there are basic entry levels as well. So we do have Best Community Shorts. We have Micro, Micro, Micro Shorts. Best British. And then if the British happens to be really good, there's the International Prize as well. So there are ways of staggering. Mm. And if you, if you live in Wales, we are, in the, we are at the beginning of a um, lottery-backed project to produce 10 community films. So there's all the information about that is available on our website. Oh, fantastic. And as a punter, um, what can I expect in the um, big event in October then? Is it hopefully, fingers crossed, will be happening in person if COVID's going to um, be rid of by then? Well, what is interesting is, um, will it be online? Mm. The answer is yes. Um, not being online, I don't think is an option moving forward because um, we reached a massive audience by doing that, people who can't afford to come to Cardiff. Cool. So it will always be online while we have the funding to do it. But no, we're, um, we are planning in great detail a safe festival um, opening on the 5th of October until the 10th. There'll be live bands performing. There's, that's something exciting and new that we're doing. Well, it will be exciting and new. have not seen one for years. <laughs> and um, yeah, well, we've always, we've always enjoyed music. And stuff. It's always played a natural, obvious part in filmmaking. So we're going to be exploring more music stuff. Um, I'll be honest, one thing we already know, which is a bit of a negative, so it's a bad thing to finish on, but it'll be probably without um, international guests, and they do play a massive part in what we do. But um, to compensate for that, we're hoping that this year is going to be a massive celebration of British talent. So we're looking forward to welcoming everybody from across the, the, the UK to Cardiff um, in October. Well, wonderful. And I shall hope to be there myself in uh, Cardiff this October. And thank you for talking to me, especially because I absolutely love your accent. I could just listen to it all day and night. I'm getting swill, as we would say in Welsh. What does that mean? Um, uh, shy. Oh. Shy and coy or whatever. Yeah. I feel like I should say goodbye to you in Welsh now, but I can only say Borodar, which is good morning, so that's no good, is it? Gwil <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I'll tell you what I can say then. Um, diolch. Well, diolch y fawr iawn i ti hefyd yma. Um, um, Dwi'n mwynhau y sgwrs y fawr iawn. You ready? The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell. Virgin Radio Pride. Massive thank you to Berwyn Rowlands, the uh, head honcho and brains behind the Iris Prize. Um, I've got a feeling he could have talked all night, but um, we had to end it at some point, <laughs> fix some music in and other stuff as well. But thank you, Bowen, for chatting to me. Oh, and I tell you what, I really, really fancy going to the film festival for the first time. I should have gone years ago, so it's time, 2021. Fingers crossed, things will be a little bit more back to normal in October. So if you're there, I'll see you in Cardiff. Well, that's pretty much it for another weekend outing with me, Emma Coswell. I hope you've managed to listen to the full three hours. And if not, you can, of course, catch it later in the week. It is now a podcast as well. I know, it's so easy, isn't it? Um, just go to wherever you get your podcasts from and search for Virgin Radio Pridecast. You'll get all the previous week's shows there as well, should you have missed any. Right. Have a wonderful rest of the evening. May it be restful and chilled and wonderful. And we'll do it all again next week. How about that?